Welcome back to the latest United podcast and a podcast we have been waiting a very, very long time for since the moment Solskjaer um, first reached a semi-final um, about four or five semi-finals ago. Solskjaer has finally got past it and um, joined by Josh on the podcast um, this week. How good does that feel? That was a good Friday. I mean, amazing. Delighted, obviously, to be in a final. I think uh, many of us agree it's long overdue. I think we've had, you know, as you said, quite a few attempts in the semi-finals of various domestic tournaments. So, yeah, delight for Solskjaer. It's long overdue and, he, you know, he fully deserves it. He's grinded it out. So, yeah, can't wait. Can't wait for four weeks' time. Now, I, I should have done my little bit of research here, but jog my memory. I, I'm sure I'm c- correct in saying this. Solskjaer would be the first manager... Or the first, sorry, the first person in Man United history to lift a trophy as a player and as a manager. That's surely correct. I think so, yeah. I mean, I've seen um, some posts on Facebook. I think some uh, social media pages are running with that. Yeah, I can't think of any of the top of my head. I mean, I was trying to think, um, you know, at the start of the semi-final today, this morning, I was trying to think when was the last time, you know, two English teams played in a Champions League final and a Europa League final in the same yeah. year, potentially. But then I realised it was two years ago. When it was uh, Liverpool Spurs and then Arsenal Chelsea, so it wouldn't have been a <laughs> it would have been a long memory one that. Well, we can get into the Arsenal discussion in a little bit because there, there is a little bit to talk about them. But um, just on that stat, uh, uh, James, one of our listeners over in Perth, sent us a stat. Uh, this is this is an interesting one. It said Edison Cavani is only the second player in Man United's European history to score in both legs of a semi-final tie after Tommy Taylor, who did so against Real Madrid in the fifty six fifty seven campaign. And I was just trying to think, I was thinking, no, surely Ronaldo or Andy Cole or Dwight York or even Solskjaer or Rooney or someone would have done that. But um, no, Edison Cavani is the first person to score in both legs since Tommy Taylor. I mean, that's an incredible start, isn't it, really? I mean, the amount, of, the amount of knockout stages we've been in since then. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, you look at like the, the previous game against Roma, the last time we played them in you know, like a knockout stage or maybe the, the time before that when it was 7-1, you think, you know... We had about four or five different goal scorers in the home leg. Surely one of them scored the new A leg, but obviously we only um, lost 2 1 in the new A leg the previous well, time. Well, this was, I think their stat was semi final, so in the semi final of a European competition. Oh, okay. But um, on that, it, it is not Arsenal, so we'll, we'll get into that. A lot of people did think it was going to be a United v Arsenal final and sort of the drama that, that would bring. But before we get on to the game and sort of how everything eventuated, because it was an eventful game. Just spend 30 seconds on sort of the Solskjaer discussion because I think it's time now when you see what is happening elsewhere in the English Premier League and some of the managers, it's time now to put this Solskjaer debate to bed. He's our manager. He shouldn't be... A, look, yes, there should always be pressure on the manager. He needs to perform weekly. He needs to perform on all occasions. However, there has been so much pressure saying he's one game away from the sack or is he the right man for the job? And he was always compared because of probably the age and being an ex-player. But also they all came in and around the same time in terms of arriving at the club as a manager, in terms of Solskjaer, Mikel Arteta and Frank Lampard. Now, at the time of recording this, Mikel Arteta is still the Arsenal manager. But I think if we're betting people, he won't be for much longer. Frank Lampard has um, got the sack from Chelsea. And here's Solskjaer on after two full seasons and very much improved Man United and now on the verge of a European trophy. Um, just your just sort of general thoughts at the moment on how that how his time has progressed at United, especially when you see who he was compared against in terms of Lampard and Arteta. They've ultimately failed, where Solskjaer is, look, the jury will still be out in terms of long-term success, but at the moment is on track to succeed. 
Yeah, I mean, he's done, you know, compared to the two managers you mentioned, he's done, you know, extremely well. I think he's weathered, you know, quite a few storms at different periods over the years. I mean, as you said, there's many podcasts we've been on where we said, you know, this could be the final show for Solskjaer. And, he's, you know, I was looking back at some of our podcast memories the other day. And I think one of the titles one of like two of them was Solskjaer saves his job again. So, you know, he's used to weathering storms in, in the past, but he's done extremely well. And as you mentioned before, it's, you know, semi-finals have been the bane of his life in, you know, the past two years, a couple of FA Cup semi-finals, uh, League Cup semi-finals. Delighted for him, to be fair. I mean, it's not over yet. We can say, you know, we can put this to bed, but I think really this season he needs to win a trophy. I think if we lose Europa League final, and I hope we don't, I don't think he'll get sacked, but I think he'll hang over him again for another year and there'll be even more pressure on him next year. So, yeah, I'd like to see him, you know, break the mould and get that that trophy, which he, I think he fully deserves, to be fair. Well, just on that, and just before we move on, I, I say it almost weekly on this podcast that football, there's certain narratives that just, just it's it's what makes football tick. It's, just, it's always there. There's always a certain story where you can just see happening and there's a reason for this story happening. And another one just on Solskjaer, we're talking about sort of European stats and European records. This one is an absolutely beautiful one, and I'm just, just, again, so much looking forward to it. But it says Manchester United will play another European final on Sir Matt Busby's birthday. The last time they did so, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer scored a last-minute winner, obviously, um, 1999 at the New Camp. And again, it just it's poetic how these sort of anniversaries um, just fall into line, and you can just see it. You, you, you can, the story is written for Solskjaer to lift that trophy um, in Poland. I know, and I'm. I'm just hoping. I'm just hoping he does. And I was thinking about this before. I know it's sort of going off topic, but I, you know, who would you have rather have played in the final? Would you have rather be playing Villarreal, or would you have rather have played, you know, Arsenal if they would have got there? And I'm thinking in my head, like Arsenal's probably the easier of the two teams in terms of the quality of players. Anyone in the Premier League has beaten them this year. You know, they're a very beatable team, and it just seems to be a banana skin for us. But then I just have that feeling that, you know, Villarreal, like Seville last year in the semis, it could just, I've just got like a, it's not a negative feeling, but maybe it's not as easy. I mean, no game's easy, but it's not going to be as easy as we're going to think it is, you know, compared to playing Arsenal. Well, they've also got the Unai Emery factor, who seems to make a habit of winning the FA Cup, oh, the FA Cup, the Europa League. He's obviously the only time he did lose it was with Arsenal, but um, he's back with Spanish opposition now and... Look, if someone can win it, um, it obviously is him. Yeah, and I mean, it, yesterday, I know Arsenal hit the post a few times, but they look a well-organised team, really good um, defensively. They, they'll be quite a tough team to uh, break down, which is not going to be easy, especially um, you know, especially with their defence. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, we'll move on to the game, and this is a weird one because I'm almost looking forward to discussing a loss and not usually we do that but we have lost the game um, there's almost a feel good factor because we have gone through and we're into the final but we did lose 3-2 I just had to go back and rewatch the highlights to make sure that was correct but um, it was an eventful game and we'll just start on the start in 11 because I got well, I didn't get criticised but a lot of people didn't agree with me that I was saying throughout the week leading up to this game I was saying I would be going pretty strong with this team and a lot of people say no nah, no nah, Play all the kids, you don't need to play anyone. And none of those first teams should be playing. I'm thinking, 
Look, Roma, they're a professional football team. There is a conceivable scenario where we go into halftime 2-0 down. For God's sake, they scored two goals at, at Old Trafford in the first in the first half. So I was thinking, could you imagine if you play all your second string players and suddenly we're two 0 down at half time? The confidence in our team is shot. Roma are sort of got a, their tails up and are ready to go for it, and it would be an absolute disaster. We saw in this game how close and how close it got at times, and how hairy it got on occasions. And it's why I fully back Solskjaer in his team selection. Maybe one or two, I say, oh, he should have done this, he should have done that. But there was so much criticism for Solskjaer going, let's say, so strong that I kind of fully sort of back him with it because we saw how the game did pan out. And, okay, we've sort of gone comfortably through. It was 8-4, 8-5, whatever it was. But it was a close game, and we're going to go through De Gea's performance in a little bit. But if you look at the shots on target for Roma, I think they had 12 shots on target. So on another day, look, it would have been unimaginable to think they could have scored six or seven past us. But on another day, they really could have. And I think Solskjaer gets it bang on in this one. But just your thoughts on, one, obviously in hindsight, but also um, an hour before the game when you did see the team news? Okay, so if it was, if you rewind a week ago, I'd probably be annoyed at the team that he put out today, knowing the, knowing the, knowing the score last week. I think with the, you know, the change in fixtures due to Liverpool being postponed and the amount of games we've got coming up, I think it's fair to say, like now, well, it's, you know, it's City have won the league, and end of story. But, you know, playing so many games close together, there's no real point in resting a team for them, in a sense, because there's, there's nothing to play for in the league. You want to sort of consolidate, you know, getting into the Europa League final, because that's, you know, that's your best chance of winning a trophy. We can't really balls up a Champions League position. I know we want to cement second spot, and I think we will, in all honesty, despite the number of fixtures we've got so close together. But I think it's important, really, to you know, consolidate what we had against Roma, put, try and put on a good defensive performance, which we, which we didn't, in essence, do today. But you can see why he went for the experience. You know, Roma proved that they can score goals against us in the first leg. I mean, they scored two goals against us at Old Trafford. Not many teams have, you know, have done, have done that in a European competition. So, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a bad decision. I probably would have, you know, I would have definitely would have done the same going into this game, like in the present, but maybe a week ago I would have been annoyed if we didn't have, you know, so many fixtures close together. Well, it is one thing. I think we'll stay clear in this podcast of sort of everything regarding the protests and the glazers out. It's good to sort of focus on a little bit of football. But that glazers out protest has and will impact, especially maybe if, even if there is a second protest against the rearranged Liverpool fixture, but it is affecting, potentially affecting the performance on the field in terms of you do look at the fixture congestion and, OK, it's great the fans have got their message across and both Larry and I were sitting here full of praise for the protest... But now you do have to look at it from, okay, we've seen Solskjaer in the press conference, he's sort of grilled about it and his thoughts. And at the end of the day, Solskjaer is only the manager. He can His only job and only concern and only thought is about the performances on the pitch. And, okay, while we do sit here and agree with the protest, we do have to look at it and think, well, unfortunately, it's probably not going to help the team. No, not at all. I mean... They were talking about, as you said, you don't really want to talk about it or delve much into it in this podcast, but that's in essence a punishment in itself, really. And I don't mm. think it's, 
even though it is punishing us in the sense of how many fixtures we've got so close together, I think the reason they've done that, I can see the logic of why they put the Liverpool game where it is, and it's more really for money. They want to sort of make it a bit of a meaningful game. They move the Liverpool game to the end of the season, you know, it's pointless in essence. You know what where Liverpool are predominantly going to finish, potentially. You know, they might be fighting for that fourth spot. Mm. But it becomes a pointless game. So, yeah, I can understand it. Well, before we get on to, obviously, the two key men from this game, and David De Gea and Edison Cavani, um, two people everyone called for. And I, while saying I wanted a strong team, these are two players that I thought should have been the first name on the team sheet in Alex Tellez and Donny van der Beek. Now, both, well, Tellez came on at half time and didn't have a great second half, and Donny van der Beek, well played, he just wasn't good. He, did, he just didn't quite get into the game. But if you were just to rate their performances, you'd say, look, they both had quite poor games, or especially Donny van der Beek had a quiet game in his case. I'll just look at that and get your thoughts, because I wouldn't criticise them for that, for the sheer fact that it's a case of, well, Solskjaer hasn't been playing them. When they do come in for their one game every six weeks, or one game every 10 weeks, in Donny van der Beek's case, they're naturally going to be rusty. And that is where I do criticise Solskjaer, saying, well, the management of the team should have been better. But then I also do look at Solskjaer and say, well, this is why Donny van der Beek can't get in, because the the situation Solskjaer has found himself in by not playing Donny van der Beek, when he comes into that game thinking, okay, here's a chance where I can rotate, when you do see what a player does perform like when they're out for six or seven weeks it's too risky just to throw them in so Solskjaer's thinking okay this is where I do want to throw van der Beek in however look every game is important I don't know if I can afford to just throw a rusty player in and suddenly okay he picks McTominay and Fred and that problem with Donny van der Beek just sort of multiplies and multiplies and multiplies every single week and um yeah just your thoughts on yeah the the sort of next installment of the use of Donny van der Beek I'm sort of torn with this one. I don't want to sit on the fence, but you can say what you've just said, Tom, and you look at Dan James, for example, and he hadn't played a, a, a string of games at all and then was put in the game against Leeds United at home and probably had one of his best games in the United shirt. Mm. So I think that's quite like... I don't want to say like a poor excuse, but Van der Beek knows his game time be, is, is, has been limited this season and he's going to get games like today where you need to try and make an impact. Collectively, as a team, the performance might not be there, but individually, you need to be the best you can. Individually today, Edison Cavani was brilliant. Individually today, David De Gea was brilliant. You need to sort of try and make an impact and put yourself in, in contention for the next game. In all the games Van der Beek's played this season, when he has played... He's not done anything for me to say, oh, you know what, what a great individual performance. I put him in contention the next game. It's been more reactive from United fans. If things aren't going well when he's not playing, the fans naturally go, well, give Van der Beek a chance. For me, when he has played, there's not been much there. And it's, I don't think it's down to, to quality, because I know the quality's there. I've seen him play at Ajax. He's, he was fantastic. I've seen him play for Holland. He's fantastic. I think it's just for him... Probably a lot of it is confidence, but I think more of it as well is maybe not so much naivety, he's just not taking his chances. Yeah, look, I think it comes down to a case of that where you look at some great players who have come to United and just haven't worked, I think, and it's a different situation, but the one old just off the top of my head springs to mind, 
is one Sebastian, one Sebastian Veron, one of the best players in Europe. All the players absolutely loved him, and he was very good at United, but it just didn't work. And with Donny van der Beek, it's, it's through no fault of his own. It's just to make it at the top level and make it at Manchester United, you do need a little bit of luck. You do need the ball to bounce in your favour. You look at Marcus Rashford. We're not talking about Marcus Rashford at all if there's not an injury to Anthony Martial and Will Keane against Midtjylland in the Europa League. His career is completely different. Who knows if he even sees the first team or professional football. Is a little bit of luck. The ball bounced in his favour on that day and he took his chance. Now, Donny van der Beek, as you say, has signed up to this idea where he is only going to get a few chances and that is, like it or not, the life of a Manchester United player. It, it is cutthroat. And yeah, unfortunately, we, yeah, we can sit here and oh, I'm not. I know you're not using. You're not saying I'm using it as an excuse, but we're also we're sort of using it as an explanation to why he is a little bit rusty. But as you say, other players sometimes come in rusty and they take their chance. So I'm sort of lenient with Donny Van der Beek because I do sort of feel for him a little bit. But yes, to make it at Manchester United, um, that that excuse is only going to wear so thin. So he does need to, unfortunately buck up his ideas when he does get that chance and just again not a criticism but just do a little more and I think cause... another I think another one for you I think the perfect comparison he's not at United obviously anymore he's on loan it's Jesse Lingard he's not touched the ball this season and he's coming yeah. he's, he's coming for West Ham and he's made the team collectively look world class and individually world class I mean it's it's about it is about taking your chances and I do feel for him in a sense that he's in a position that's heavily heavily congested you could have two injuries in that position and he'd probably still struggle to get in the team. It's, it's, about, it's about taking your chances. At least when... Yeah. Look at, turn this back to your favourite player, Juan Mata. At least when he comes on the pitch, he shows that intelligence. He shows that quality. And that's without having no game time. I think... I do, I do really stand firm with the belief that it is. I think it's a confidence issue for him as well. Yeah, well, well the, the, yes, you're completely right. And again, I think that's a, the explanation for that is, well, he hasn't been playing and it's shooting his confidence, unfortunately. But um, we will get into it. And look, we have gone through to a European final, so let's go back onto the positives. And look, Cavani or De Gea, where will we start? Let, let's start with David De Gea, the number one. We'll go in order. Um, just your thoughts, because we, again, the latest instalment in the De Gea and Henderson debate, the one I would look at is... In recent weeks, we've both sat here and said, well, look, Dean Henderson has taken the number one shirt and David De Gea is the second choice goalkeeper. But I saw a tweet go out, and I forget who put it out, but it was, it was very simple, but I've never actually thought of it. But have we been reading the situation completely wrong over the last couple of weeks in reading that Dean Henderson is the number one goalkeeper? But should we be reading the situation as Solskjaer has sort of said the Europa League is his priority. So David De Gea is actually the first choice goalkeeper and he's taken a the, sort of the lesser approach in the Premier League and given Dean Henderson the Premier League games. Just your thoughts before we get into the performance of David De Gea, the current situation and how that all weighs up. I don't want to make up some rubbish time, but I, I don't know. I wish I, did. I wish I did, but I don't know. Every time I think, you know, at the start of the season, I thought De Gea was number one and then obviously... He went back to Spain, um, you know, for the birth of his his daughter, and obviously he gave Henderson the opportunity, and he had a few good games. You're thinking Henderson's number one. I don't know who's number one. I actually don't. I'm sure you don't as well. It's uh, it's quite a confusing situation. And what I've said before on other podcasts, both of those goalkeepers aren't number two goalkeepers, and I can't see them both being here 
um, next year if you know one of them has to be a number two. Does that performance though? And again, you, you're not going to make a judgment on the career of a goalkeeper on one performance, and we've we've got a decade of evidence of what David Day can sort of give to United. But does that performance on that stage or that occasion? Does that tip the scales in David Hayes' favour and is he Solskjaer's number one now? It's a great individual performance, great goalkeeping performance. I mean, I've not seen a bad defensive performances today for a long time where the goalkeepers had to be put into action, especially when Henderson's been in net. So I don't really think he's had the opportunity Henderson to perform like De Gea has today because defensively we've been quite solid. Yeah, he's been called upon, you know, a few times and he has made a few errors, Henderson, in, in you know, small errors in, in some games. But I think today De Gea was given the opportunity to shine through probably one of our worst defensive performances um, in a while. Not to say we were terrible, but we were just, you know, just a bit defensively naive um, at large points, you know, at large sections of the game today which gave the, you know, the Hayley opportunity to really promote himself. Well, it might go down in history. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, one of the listeners could point this out. But this could go down as David De Gea. He could be the only goalkeeper in history to concede three goals and be a clear man of the match winner. Yeah. It's unbelievable. As you say, the defensive, which we won't get into, we want to sort of stick to the positives and we're running out of time on the podcast a little bit. But while we have gone through, and that's great, there were some shambolic moments in terms of the way United were playing. And it, for me, it wasn't a Solskjaer thing. It wasn't a team selection thing. It was just individual mistakes, which, which I think came off the back of being 6-2 up. Just a little bit of complacency, which we can criticise because we can say, well, they've been paid hundreds of thousands of pounds. They shouldn't be complacent. But it's the human brain. You're 6-2 up. It's naturally going to happen. And sometimes when you you know you're potentially going to be complacent. You try even harder to be switched on, which just isn't the right thing to do, and that almost compounds the problem. But um, uh, who's that? Oh, I was David Hay. I was trying to think who was the other star man, and obviously um, Edison Cavani. This is a weird one. I was talking to George, who's been on the podcast before and a member of the Supporters Club. He's obviously a big fan of Zlatan Ibrahimovic. And at, at the time, I was asking the question, has Cavani... Is Cavani going down, going to go down as a better signing than Zlatan Ibrahimovic? And his first point was, you just look at Zlatan's goals. And yes, at the time, I forgot completely forgot how many goals Zlatan actually scored. And um, Cavani is obviously nowhere near that level. But my God, he does feel like he's a good signing because he, he came in for so much criticism at the start through none of his own doing, um, through a lot of sort of frustration of, of the fans. But he has put things right. And I don't know where this season would have been if we don't have Edison Cavani, we're definitely not in the Europa League final, that's for sure. Well, before we mention Edison Cavani, how, how weird is this that two of our best signings since 2013 have come from PSG? So thanks for yeah. that. On free transfers, yeah. Yeah. Um, he was brilliant today, Cavani. I thought it was really good. And the first goal, proper, proper striker's finish. Came from Fred as well, your favourite player. Yeah, actually, I was just looking at that and I look. Look, Fred got the assist, so fantastic. And I don't want to bash Fred on this, but I look at that, which we'll get in the three two ones, and we just want, we didn't have we haven't even touched on Bruno Fernandez, but Bruno makes that goal with a little bit of movement and a lovely sort of flick to Fred. And I do look at that Fred pass, and that's fantastic. So happy for him, he got the assist. 
it's a shocking ball to Cavani. He pings it into him, and um, Cavani sort of takes takes a sort of delicate touch into his path. But um, yeah, look, look, Fred was one of those again. Um, He's obviously hugely at fault for the second goal. It was the second or third goal for Roma? I forget. So I think it was. A, I think it was actually the third goal. The third. But um, I'll tell you what, though, the f- his first touch there, I thought, wow. And oh, then, yeah, and then his second, he gave it away. It, just, yeah. it, it was. It was went from like quality to yeah. crap. Yeah, I, I did feel for him a little bit. Up. Yeah, it did look worse than it was because, as as you say, he has done an almost unbelievable bit of skill at the start. And um, it's just unfortunate he sort of turned into trouble through no... Well, you could say through no fault of his own. Obviously, it was his own doing. But, um, yeah, I did feel for him a little bit there. But just back on Cavani there and just little things. And this has been sort of overrated a little bit, in my opinion. However, because of the feel-good factor around the club at the moment, I'm all aboard it. The incident with Mason Greenwood where it's the first time I've ever seen Mason Greenwood and it was a nothing incident. It was a little push and shove. But the first time I've ever seen someone getting Mason Greenwood's face, it's just something I've never seen before. It hasn't happened. And when you saw Mason Greenwood almost take a little bit of a step back and think, shit, I've never been in this position before. And two seconds later, Edison Cavani's in the guy's face. And these things happen every single... They happen at training, for God's sake. But they happen every single game so many times and you'd never really take note of it. But I think there is something to take note of it when it is Mason Greenwood and Cavani because... Both Greenwood has spoken about how he uses Cavani's experience and Cavani has spoken about how sort of promising Mason Greenwood is and that they have formed somewhat of a good relationship and just your thoughts on that um, incident with Cavani defending Greenwood. I think it's just down to his... It it looks just down to his experience and, you know, the amount of respect uh, people have for Cavani. I think he did well with that. I think he was just protecting his own. That's all it was, but... I want to take you, take you to a different situation. When he scores that second goal of the head, um, everyone goes up to him to celebrate. Everyone. Mm. Like, even the bench. See McTominay, the respect he has. I think Lindelof um, has words with him. Just the quality and aura he brings around the squad is brilliant. And I don't know, is, he, is, he, is it confirmed that he's signed for next year? I don't know if it's still speculation or... Yeah, definitely not confirmed, but um, yeah, a lot of people have, are quite confident that it's happened. But it looks like he wants it. It looks like he's got like a fantastic rapport with the team and he's really... Um, I think now that speculation's sort of going away now, that you know, it is looking to be confirmed. He's really sort of starting to gain confidence in his scoring goals at you know, the right time of the season. Well, you just say that second goal, it was, it was an unbelievable header. I, th- I think it looks quite simple, but when the cross came in from Bruno Fernandes, I was thinking, oh, it's a tough one, Cavani, because it's one of those ones where the only thing you can really do in terms of heading the ball is sort of get a glance in touch on it. I'm thinking, I don't think you can glance that one in. It's a bit too far out. But he goes for that glancing technique, but gets the power behind it. And I, I was shocked when that cross comes in. I was thinking, ah, he-, he can't score from there. And it's an absolute wonderful header. And... um as you say, two classic sort of Cavani slash striker goals. I thought it was brilliant ball from Bruno, and it was great uh, play from Cavani as well to beat the offside trap. It was a really classic, you know, one of them goals you get on FIFA where you just beat the offside trap. Mm. Brilliant. Yeah, no, what, no, did you, um, what did you make of Bruno's performance? Again, uh, I've seen him, it's probably gone on for three months. I think some of these performances where he goes on, un- well, I noticed he's just had a very crucial assist. But he sort of almost goes unnoticed. But I think that's when he's actually performances are better. I think when you see him score goals and sort of have those flashy performances, I think when you break down the technical side of his performance, he's usually quite poor in those games. He just has those moments. 
But in those games where he doesn't have those moments and it's just a very simple slash quiet game for him, I think he performs very well. And I think, look, obviously um, De Gea and Cavani will steal the 3-2-1s in here. But for me, I'd be going, well, we'll, we'll go to the 3-2-1s, maybe start from the bottom because I think Cavani and De Gea will be those top two. For me, I'd be saying Bruno for one. Okay, obviously the crucial assist. And for me, he he pretty much makes the goal for the first goal where he sets Fred free in midfield who eventually gets it to Cavani. But yeah, I thought Bruno again, I wouldn't say a leadership performance. Like it wasn't Roy Keane in Turin. But he was out there. He was a key member of the squad for Solskjaer. He, as I said, in terms of the team selection, it wasn't a weak squad. So he's gone in there with his the big players for the big occasion. And yeah, I thought Bruno was very good. I think it's hard to disagree with you there. I thought Bruno, um, the reason I asked you is because I thought he had like a relatively quiet game today, but then I thought he showed real good moments of quality um, at good times of the game. Obviously, he had the assist and he had um, played a really decent ball to um, Greenwood, which I thought he should have scored. So, yeah, he was, um, he was very active in our key moments. So, yeah, can't argue with you there. Well, then, then the only question then is the three points and two points... For me, look, Cavani was very good and you could all, well, I was about to say a match-winning double. We lost the game 3-2. But um, he'd be very hard done by to get the not get the man of the match. But I look at that David De Gea performance and I think it's clear three for De Gea and two for Cavani. But I'll just throw it to De Gea. And look, we have gone through relatively comfortable at the end of the day. But on the match as a whole, on the match as a whole has De Gea saved our season? Because... Could you see a situation where one or one or two of those shots go in, and we're sitting here having the most embarrassing podcast of our lives and an absolute disaster show? And ultimately, if that happened, if the, the disaster did strike, well, I remember your, so, I think your first be, words on the podcast last week was, you know, if we if we concede three minutes into the game, they score the first goal. You know, it could be a very nervy affair. And what happened? De Gea makes a yeah. save in the third minute. Yeah, well, th- that was one, and it, was, it should have been a handball for the Roma player. I, I was filthy that that didn't get called, but yeah, and that is why uh, I think as fans we saw 6-2 when we said, oh no, we'll go through, and I'm thinking, football doesn't work that way. <laughs> football just does not work that way, and um, yeah, look, ultimately I think De Gea has saved us big time, because I just look at the shots on target Roma had, and it was 12 or 13 shots or something, so you think that there's 10 saves there to be made, and... Yeah, I can't imagine what we would be doing now if things hadn't gone to plan and we did get knocked out, which you look how those chances did fall for Roma inside the six-yard box, some of them. Um, it's, I wouldn't say it's a miracle we've gone through, but Christ, it was close to it. Yeah, I mean, he's, he has saved us today. He is, he's, you know, we've got, a, I wouldn't say a massive gouge out for Ecog, so that I just couldn't see us really, regardless of whether he made him saves or not, I just can't see us conceding six goals or, you know, losing by four and aggregate. I think we had, like, a strong enough team to really pull ourselves together. Um, and I think it's... I've seen quite a few arguments on Facebook saying, you know, it's an inexcusable performance from United. They've lost to a second-string Roma. I mean, look at their f- attack. They have a very decent attack. They've got Mkhitaryan, they've got Pellegrini, they've got Mancini, they've got Zeko. All very good players. I wouldn't say it's a weakened Roma team. Well, the, the way I look at it, and well, not the way I look at it, but and a lot of people don't agree with me, but I, I firmly stand by it. The longer you go winning, like, I'm glad to lose this game now. I, I'm truly glad. Like, yes, obviously won Man United to win, but in hindsight, looking back, I'll say, yes, I'm actually pleased with that loss. And I know it sounds stupid, 
but I fully stand by the notion that the longer you go winning, the closer you are to your next loss. And I wouldn't be going in. I wouldn't be going into a uh, Europa League final against Villarreal very confident if we had won whatever it potentially is. If if we had won twelve games on the bounce, I wouldn't be confident because if that that loss is is you're getting closer to it. So I'm glad to get a loss out of the way in terms of no one was injured. It came in a situation where we didn't lose any points. We still progressed. We still got Cavani, got goals. David Hay got a real confidence boost. And I just think, look, yes, I do want Manchester United to win every single game. But yeah, in terms of what you were just referring to there, the almost outrage over the performance, yeah, I'm with you. I don't get it. I thought, okay, yes, it was a poor performance. Of course it was. But you do have to take everything into context. Yeah, exactly. And I think the main objective today was... It doesn't matter. We, you you want to get into that final. I, I personally, we could have lost the game three 0 today, Tom. And I, I wouldn't. It wouldn't bother me as long as we were in the final. Three 0 would have got us in the final, wouldn't it? If we would have lost, that would have been enough. Yeah, well, they, they did get it to a stage around the sixty or seventieth minute. I was starting to get my fingers out and counting away goals. And yeah, th- there was a time Fred had the ball, and I was saying, "Take it to the corner." And that was about twenty minutes to go. I know. Look, so then, I know. I know that's a poor mentality to have, but I think t- for me today, it's just about getting get into the final I didn't really care how we did it I didn't care if the you know performance was bad as you said I'd rather have a poor performance and get to the final now than have really poor performances in our next three games and lose confidence let's not be naive I mean we've got three games coming up now leading up until um, you know next weekend is it three games yeah we have got three games we've got Villa Leicester Liverpool we've got four games haven't we yeah Villa Leicester is Fulham in there yeah, Fulham, yeah. I don't think I don't think United are gonna get twelve by next Sunday night or Monday morning, a week on Monday, we're not gonna have twelve points out of twelve from them. Oh yeah, yeah, we'll drop points somewhere. Yeah, you're yeah. gonna drop points. Um that's just the base of it. We don't have a big enough squad really to to manage that like Man City, like Man City do. Um But as I said, yeah, you'd rather have you'd rather have the poor performance today. Than going into that next game, so I think we need like confidence now going into this uh, Europa final. You need to have a you know a bit, good bit of momentum, and it's going to be extremely difficult with the fixtures we have coming up. Yeah, definitely. Well, before we go on, just to quickly wrap up the podcast in regards to the Villa match, just a few Facebook comments. Dan has spoken about sort of United played very complacent today, and Eric Bailly was a cowboy. <laughs> we didn't even get into Eric Bailly's performance. Uh, yeah, I think that sums it up pretty good. I wasn't too pleased with him. Elliot's three points, um, three two ones are very evenly spread out amongst David De Gea for all three two and ones. Can't I'm going to go back after this and, and watch the De Gea saves again because they were so impressive. But Robert has said immense performance, or just immense. I'm not sure of the performance, but I think just the feeling of going through. And also, Adam has gone three points for De Gea, two for Cavani, and one for Bruno. So he's obviously. Read our minds, but but just I think that, Rob was just um I think Rob was just a bit bit excited because he booked work we booked work off last week for the final prematurely lucky, so I think he yeah, was just yeah. a bit relieved after that. Yeah, he was feeling it around the seventieth minute, but just on that which I've said since since the sort of critics started with Solskjaer, probably well over a year ago now. I almost I've always come to sort of the realization that one day Solskjaer is going to get the sack, and I was always fearful that that day would happen sooner than later. Unfortunately, but I just said all I wanted, whether it be a League Cup, an FA Cup, Champions League, and now we're in a situation where it's going to be the Europa League. All I wanted, if Solskjaer is one day going to get the sack, and hopefully not soon, but look the the way the football world works, it potentially is going to be soon. Fingers crossed, not. 
But all I wanted to see was just that image of him holding a trophy. And now that we're 90 minutes away, that he's got over that semi-final hurdle and we're 90 minutes away and we go in clear favourites. If Solskjaer does his job and the players turn up and do their job, we will win that Europa League, hopefully quite comfortably. But it's going to be a tight match. But to see him have an image of him lifting the trophy that goes down in Manchester United history, as I say, the first, first person to win the trophy as a player and as a manager... I don't mind what happens after that. Lose the next 10 games and get the sack next season. I just want that image because he has gone through almost hell as a Man United manager in terms of the abuse he has copped from fans. Um, I've, I've said it since he started copping the abuse that all I want is sold, a, a photo of Solskjaer lifting that trophy. And um, yeah, I think that just the word there, um, Rob used there saying immense, that is the feeling I think I'd have. Absolutely, I couldn't couldn't agree with you more. And I think it I think it goes beyond him just lifting a trophy. I think it it will build a, a belief amongst the players as well that he can you know bring us more yeah. trophies going forward. And I think that's going to be important for next season. I think the impact this season can have on next season is is more serious than you think, really. Um, especially if he does win that trophy, I think it will show a belief within the players that he's the man to potentially take them forward. Yeah, they have an immense amount of respect for Solskjaer at the moment. You can see that in the way they, you know, they talk about him, the way they play for him. But yeah, I hope he does because I think it will have a, a really positive effect going into next season, possibly with transfers, but also with the place we've got at the moment. Yeah, no, definitely. Now, before we wrap up the podcast, because it has been a good chat, and a sort of in-depth chat, but anything to add on the Aston Villa game? Like we, we sort of spoke about the fixtures sort of in general, sort of not specific fixtures, but we do look at this match now as, look, top four is secure. Well, this this week probably secure top four technically, I think, maybe, if results go our way. But we are obviously looking for hopefully a second-place finish. But um, obviously the eggs do go in the Europa League basket. Now, I don't want fans to get into the idea where you have to rest everyone now for Villarreal. It's, you just look at what happened with Donny van der Beek and Alex Tellers. You need to keep playing these players so they're sharp and they're fit and they're ready to go for that final. Now, obviously, you don't play them in all four games, but there are going to be games where you're going to have to see Rashford. You're going to have to see Bruno. Pogba's going to have to play. De Gea's going to have to get a game in the league if he's going to be playing in the Europa League. So just your thoughts. Is there any... Maybe not so much what you're predicting. Is there anything you, you want to see against Aston Villa? Is there someone who hasn't been playing you want to see get a run? I like to see him. I like to see him rest a few plays against Aston Villa. Um, I like to see him play Van der Beek, Van der Beek again and give him another chance. Mm. I think. Um, I think that would be good for him and also just, also for Solskjaer as well, just to see what he can bring. He knows himself. Van der Beek can have the best game today, but can he carry that? Or sorry, can he forget about that and you know play again on, on Sunday against Aston Villa? I don't think he needs to play the same plays he played today because obviously we've got Liverpool. I think he'll want they want to put put that performance over Liverpool. Sorry, they want to put in a more, you know, experienced team against Liverpool over Aston Villa. Even though Aston Villa is probably the more achievable game to get the three points. But, you know, even with our second team it should be enough to beat Villa. I'd like to yeah. see uh, Dan James get a start as well against Villa against um, you know, Aston Villa. Yeah, no, Who knows maybe what Matter might play. Yeah, well, well, he's back in and around it. And I've said I was having a discussion today with a mate and thinking, look, who knows how this final will pan out. But I have seen Villarreal play, um, obviously, the first leg against Arsenal and sort of watch bits today. And you refer to them being sort of defensively sort of very well organised. And I just think... If it, I would have stopped you there, Sam. If you're saying Juan Mata is starting Europa League final, 
No, def- definitely not. <laughs> look, look I, I would if I'm Solskjaer. Yes, I'm starting. But I do look at a situation where I could see Ben Nil all come the 60th, 70th minute and a player like Rashford or a player like Greenwood not being very effective and we can't break them down. And that is why I think it's very important to be playing one matter now. So if the situation does arise in the Europa League final where we need a different type of solution with 20 to go, we have a fit one matter ready to come on. Who knows, Tom? Could be scoring that winner. Crossed. I'd love to be next to you in that. Uh, I'd love to be next to you in a casino if we watch it there, and he, he scores the winner. That'd be that'd be an experience. Yeah, uh, prepare yourself. But um, <laughs> that is um, obviously a five a.m. kickoff on a Thursday morning here in Sydney. A lot of us are taking the day off work. Um, a few of us maybe might go get some dinner on the Wednesday night and then set the alarms for. God knows what hour, two or three in the morning to head down to um, a pub or the casino, not quite sure where just yet, but um, for a few more early morning beers. And um, it, w- it was a very good occasion when we beat Ajax in the Europa League final back in, oh my God, 2017. That felt <laughs> feels like a while ago now. But um, I'll see you on Monday as well. We've got the movie premiere of The United Way. Um, yeah, really looking forward to that. Eric Cantona's interview on The Project here in Australia. I didn't catch it. No, I saw. Uh, I saw your Instagram story though. He looks. Uh, he looks a bit different, doesn't he, Cantona? His age. Yeah. Um. I think. I think he had a few donuts. I think he's put on a few kgs. I think. Luke Shaw after uh, before pre season. <laughs> yeah, you said that, not me. <laughs> but um, hopefully everyone enjoyed this podcast. As I say, we have just discussed a loss, but hopefully a sort of a feel good loss. Um, quite unique. But um, as we both said at the start of the podcast, just so over the moon that um, Solskjaer has got through to the final because I, I couldn't imagine what discussion we'd be having now if he had I never liked the term bottled the semi-finals but I think in this situation if we're 6-2 up and we did go out even I would be sitting here saying um, using the term bottled but thank God that didn't happen and we have um, booked a plane ticket to Poland um, there will be a few fans there from um, all reports there'll be a couple of thousand which will be good well I just got the but, email um, today 2,000 allocation Typical United this time, they send an email uh, five minutes after full time about the pricing and what they're going to deduct from your account if you reply. <laughs> do, do you need to be vaccinated to get a ticket? Well, they've, the United are offering, they're doing like a special tour package. I think it's like 300 English pounds if you, um, if you, if you go there. It's a day trip. But they've said they're going to discount it so you only pay £180. But I think that's not including the, the test you're going to have to purchase when you get yeah. there or, or the isolation when you get back. You'll probably have to yeah. self-isolate. Yeah, it's always in the fine print with United as per. Well, fantastic but, um, though. Great to see uh, fans getting the opportunity to go and uh, yeah. to go and watch along with the Joe. No, definitely. Um, but there will be plenty of fans here in Sydney to watch that match. And so, if you are in Sydney and listen to the podcast, um, definitely stay on top of the social medias, and we'll let you know where we are watching that match and what time to meet up, etc. But um. Thank you for joining us, um, Josh. A last-minute replacement for Larry. He did go MIA, but he just messaged me halfway through the podcast. Um, he didn't have internet reception, so I couldn't find Larry. So um, we went to the super sub, as usual, in Josh. And um, hopefully we'll have you back on in a week or two to discuss in um, the most famous sub in Man United history, Solskjaer, and him making history, lifting a trophy as a manager. Can't wait for that. All right, everyone, have a good weekend, and we'll chat to you on Monday at the movie premiere, and I'm sure Josh will be there as well with Larry. Chat to everyone then. Bye.